This is Omo. 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 Is this Yoko Omo? This is Omo. This is the tale of a girl named Mara, which translates to bitterness. So we know it's going to have a happy ending. Mara worked hard alongside her mother every day in their hut on the side of the mountain. Her father and four brothers were out having adventures all day, spending their days exploring and hunting. Mara and her mother spent their days the same. Washing the clothes, pulling the weeds from the garden, gathering firewood, and preparing the meals for the hungry men. It was still early in the day, but already Mara's back ached as she reached down to grab a snail from the potato patch and threw it out of the garden. She looked over at her mother, collecting shallots for the stew. Mother's back had already developed a permanent hunch. Mara and her mother looked just alike, except for the time that had passed, that had not been kind to Mother's body. She saw her future as she watched the woman stand up stiffly, putting a hand to her hip. Beyond her mother, distant in the valley, she spotted a procession of people, and she knew immediately who it was. A parade of mounted men made their way through an open field, hunting dogs, barking and running out in front of them, and in the middle of it all, a man on a shining white horse. Mara had looked upon him before. She had seen his handsome face and never forgot. The noble huntsman. He hunted for sport, not for dinner. He did not slave under piles of laundry. He had people who dressed him. He probably never pulled weeds from a garden, but enjoyed a fully stocked kitchen with servants to prepare his meals. This moment... Her conviction struck her like lightning. This moment, she knew, whatever it took, she would escape this life and make the huntsman her own. This is the Romani legend of the creation of the violin. That's great. Hi, Chris Jacoby. Welcome to Omo, everybody. Hey, Rosie Deloach. Hi, everybody. We have a dark tale to bring to you today. Thank you for joining us for our Halloween episode, where we talk about the darker concepts of the violin. (laughs) (laughs) I I love it. I'm excited. That Mm. that was a great opener. Thank you. So this is um, a, a story I've added a little bit too, but it is a real grim-ish type of tale uh, about how the violin came to be. There's a bunch of versions of it, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, Chris, there's a there's a song that Mara sang to her nobleman, and dude, if you could if you could sing that song for me. Do I do it as Tom Waits or as a girl? I vote Tom Waits. Dear man from a far country, slip your hand into mine. Clasp me as you will in your arms. Lovingly, I will kiss you. And this is a shocker, but... uh, She's a smoker. The (laughs) The nobleman just 
did not speak to her after that. He was not down for it. And uh, this went on and on on repeat. She kept trying to get his attention. Multiple times. She, with her lovely singing voice, she really tried to attract him. Every night you come and remind me I am poor as shit. So Mara, she gets a little desperate. And Chris, she makes a deal. (laughs) She called out, oh devil, help me. (laughs) That's right. He shows up. So the devil has a mirror. And he tells her to look into it. And Mara looks into the mirror, and the mirror reveals the huntsman. Dun, dun, dun. So the next part didn't quite make sense to me, so I did a little research. Uh, the devil says... Can I do uh, the devil? Yeah, yeah, say it. Oh, is that all that's troubling you? Take this mirror. All you need to do is get him to look into it, and you suddenly will be able to entice him to you. Very nice. It sounds a little bit like Tom Waits also. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm thematic. Okay. <laughs> so some of the lore surrounding mirrors that could maybe contribute to this legend. Uh-huh. In folklore, women, sometimes called healers, sometimes called witches, could perform a ritual while looking in a mirror that would lead you to seeing your future husband. But it could also show you the Grim Reaper. Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And sometimes in cultures in the past, uh, cultures in the past thought reflective surfaces could be used to catch a glimpse of the future. So this included water, mirrors, anything where you could see yourself. Mm-hmm. And then there's even one Jewish tradition that uh, there's a practice of covering all the mirrors in the house if a family member dies. Yeah, while while you're you're sitting in grief afterwards. Yes, and it stems from this folklore idea that the souls could end up trapped in mirrors. Oh, if they were wandering around the house before they moved on. Wow. Yeah, and there's even a rumor that uh, when Abraham Lincoln's body was laid out in the White House, that uh, they did this. They covered all the mirrors. So we all know how mirrors work. Let's go back to the story, yeah. Rosie. I'm back excited. to the story. I just like to get real nerdy. But yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> the the noble huntsman, he's passing through her neck of the woods. And Mara comes out of her hut and says, hey, 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 look into this mirror. <laughs> and he does it. He looks in the mirror and, and he says two things says, oh, that's the devil. It's the devil's doing. I see myself, which I don't, I don't really understand that last part being the devil's doing. I mean, neither, neither do I. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe he's just, he's not a very smart huntsman. (laughs) He does have people who dress him. So, (laughs) so he sees his reflection and he runs away. But they finally got to talk to each other. Yeah. Like, despite her singing voice. Finally got to talk to each other. And uh, and they have this conversation. After that conversation, the huntsman decides he's just never coming back to that forest again. Yeah, this bitch is crazy, right? A little bit. A little bit. And, and you know what? You know what? Mara was bitter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she called again. Oh, devil. Help me. <laughs> 
She's like, now he won't even come to this part of the forest. Help me out. <sighs> Devil laughed and said, Let him run. I shall catch him. You both have looked in the mirror, and now you both belong to me. <laughs> I will help you, said the devil. That was my cue. But first, you must give me your four brothers. They agree that the devil will come again at night while the brothers are sleeping. So he made four strings of them, fiddle strings. The fattest brother for the thickest string, the skinniest brother for the thinnest string, and the other two is the middle. Then the devil, who had decided, this is just not enough, says, Give me your father. And Mara said, I will, but you must help me. So her father fashioned into a box. And then he said, Give me your mother, too. Okay, but you will help me, right? You said you'd help me. <laughs> the devil smiled and made Mara's mother into a stick and strung her hair from one end of the stick to the other. This was the fiddlestick. It's called a bow. Mm. And the devil played the fiddle. And at first Mara rejoiced, and then she cried. The devil said to her, When your beloved comes, play, and you will entice him to you. And this is a plot hole alert because the huntsman's not coming around, right? No. He, like, he ran away? He's scared of Mara. Mara's freaky. Uh, yeah. Somehow the devil makes it happen. Mm -hmm. She found him. She played for him. And he came to her. And uh, they got together for nine days. Mm -hmm. Nine days later, the devil came to them and said, Worship me. I am your lord. And you know what? They were not down for it. The devil carried them off, and the fiddle remained in the forest, lying on the ground, and a poor gypsy... <coughs> Romani. 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 Came and saw it, and he played. And as he played it through the villages and towns, the people laughed and wept just as he chose. Nice. Mm-hmm. You guys know the the devil went down to Georgia is based on um, uh, actually based about the country Georgia and its folklore story. Awesome. No, it's actually not. Dang. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I want that to be. It seems right. You're kind of lying. I'm kind of lying. Uh, it was written in 1979 by the Charlie Daniels Band. But he said he said in interviews he said. I don't know where the lyrics came from. They just popped into my head. Well, I think I know where they might have come from. It might have come from an old poem called The Mountain Whippoorwill. Uh, Chris, yeah, you want to just sing The Mountain Whippoorwill in whatever fashion you deem appropriate? I can do it, yeah. Yeah. Up in the mountain, it's lonesome all the time. Soft winds lewing through sweet potato vine. Up in the mountain, it's lonesome for a child. Whippoorwills are calling when the sap run wild. Never knew my pappy, maybe never should. Think he was a fiddle made of mountain or a wood. Never had a mammy to teach me pretty please. Think she was a whippoorwill a skittin' through trees. Never had a brother, never a whole pair of pants. Nope. When I start to fiddle, you motherfuckers <laughs> dance. 
beautiful. Thanks. I, I, I was very embarrassed by the time I'd been doing that for about three words. It was great. Don't be. <laughs> I, I feel, I feel it. I feel, I feel good. I never had a brother or a whole pair of pants. No. <laughs> so is that just a pant? Well, it's because uh, earlier we were recording and you kept talking about how you weren't wearing pants. So yeah, I need a breeze. <laughs> Strong breeze. Guys, that's the creation of the violin. Wonderful. Or is it? Or was it? This is Omo. Hello, Ben Hebert. Thanks for coming on Omo. Hello, it's me again. Hey, Ben. It's always good to hear your voice. We have just told a story. We've just told a Romani tale about the creation of the violin. It's spooky. Cool. What happened? The devil gets involved mm-hmm. and kills a family. As one does. Ben, do you have any stories about stories about the violin being evil or hauntings or anything of that nature? Well, I was thinking about this because you, you asked me a few days ago, and uh, I mean, hauntings, maybe people being murdered. There's there's Thomas Brown, who's a violin maker in the 1830s, just at the time that Paganini is coming to England. Mm-hmm. And actually, when you look at Paganini, the thing that we forget was that there were plagues going on in parts of France at the time that at the, at the time that Paganini was was sort of at his prowess, there was an awful lot of spiritualness and an awful lot of mystique that was going around Paganini, which was kind of fed by what was happening in certain cities in France. So, when you look at Paganini, you see terribly tortured uh, images of him. Yeah, and mm-hmm. uh, so it's not just that sort of that little thing of him with the devil. Yes, there's the common lore that he made a deal with the devil and that gave him his playing ability. Exactly. And we see that over and over again because Tartini did that as well, so 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 we hear. But yeah, it's it's kind of interesting because when you look at the big picture and look at the way that some of the artists portrayed him, he is sort of the devil incarnate. Yeah. In lots of ways. And you know, there there are some quite scary looking bronze sculptures of him as sort of almost looking like something out of alien or something like that he was there at the moment he could do something that absolutely nobody could at a time that people were not in control of their destiny because if they're in the wrong city they were dying of plague oh wow Uh, the first time i heard paganini really played well live i remember thinking that the violinist should be able to point her violin and move objects around the room that it was it was that powerful and impossible. It's it's really something. But with this stuff, in 1834, when he's first in England, he comes in, I think, 1830, and it's sort of really big time, it's 1834. Paganini came to Great Britain. Yeah, so he comes to, to England, but it's in this year, poor old Thomas Brown, he's got a servant, and uh, I don't think the servant's very good. And the servant seems to have been sort of in a in a home for the sort of mentally unstable for a while, and... He basically curses her, and I think the servant's mother has died a tragic death, and allegedly he prays to God that the same fate that fell on her mother would fall onto her. And two days later, she's found bolt upright in a water butt, stone-cold dead. 
which is a, a barrel. A water butt is a water barrel. Yeah, sort of a, one of those troughs, which, you know, cows and stuff like that. Uh, well, it says water butt, maybe in a barrel, but there wasn't very much water in it. So she couldn't have drowned. She was just sitting in it, bolt upright, stone cold dead. And Thomas Brown gets tried for murder because he'd put a curse on her and caused her death. Wow. I love the 19th century. And it's just, you know, when in the backdrop of there's this, there's this great gothic character in music at that time and that somebody can actually curse someone to death at that point. It's, it's dark. It's really dark. So, so that happened. He seems to have got off and then he dies mysteriously a year later. <laughs> That's about the closest thing that we get to a, to a ghost story. Wow. But I was, I was thinking further and... In the Renaissance, there's a very strong idea about the sort of the balance of the perfect human. And you've got a bit of male in yourself and you've got a bit of female in yourself. And if you're mm-hmm. if you're sort of hormonally balanced to be a bit of both, then you're kind of the perfect person. Okay. Mm-hmm. And for, for men, you've got to play music. For men, the reason to play music is so that you're able to seduce in a more sort of subtle way. Rather than just clubbed and dragged to the cave. Exactly, and be able to attract women in a more discerning way. Has that gone away? Well, exactly. <laughs> and for women, you should play music and learn music so that you will understand the subtlety of the music that is designed for you to be seduced by. Wow. So if you're a classy chick, you'll have you'll play good music and you'll only know that the good songs are what you should do. So it is your it is your role to be involved in music so that you can be a better partner. Exactly. <laughs> but this for for men this creates a problem that if you play too much music, if you're too good at it and to spend too much time in it. So over the 16th 17th century it's like it's great to be good but don't practice too much. <laughs> and the reason is is because music is seen as fundamentally feminine. Mm-mm. Women are seductible, men are seducers, but Every woman has a bit of masculine in and the other way around. So the result is if you practice too hard, you will become, and the word they use is womanished, Mm -hmm. and your mind will become effeminate. And the problem there is that then you can't help yourself because if any woman looks at you, you'll be seduced by them instead of the other way around. (laughs) Which doesn't seem to me to be a bad thing at all. It's a bad thing at the time of Henry VIII because... This balancing of the humours is seen as you know, completely consistent. It's a, it's a part of human life and human nature. So when Henry VIII beheads his wives and does all of that with Anne Boleyn, he's got the problem that there's this violinist in the court called Mark Smeaton, and he's been practising a bit too much, and he spends a little bit too much time around Anne Boleyn. And as a result, the accusation is, is that him and her got friendly, Mm-hmm. And they only got friendly because he'd lost any sort of masculinity and become utterly seducible. That's amazing. So he was beheaded. He was tortured for weeks and beheaded for canoodling with Anne Boleyn and was one of the reasons why she got beheaded as well. This person essentially became far too tempted by women. Hmm. And that's why he had to be beheaded. Uh, Mary, Queen of Scots, had a lover, David Rizzio. Now, he got bludgeoned to death 50 times in front of her, stripped of his clothes and cast down the stairs because he was too much, too good of a loop player. 
That is that is true. I mean, I would murder someone for being too good of a loot player. I'd I'd murder someone for being too good of a banjo player, but <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. That's really scary. Because essentially, the devil becomes involved in these people's music. That's the reason why ultimately those two get beheaded. So you know, we talk about the devil in in musicians like Paganini as as you know some kind of mania. And actually, when you go back into the 16th century, you see that this is just in the way that people thought. It's thematic, yeah. You know, people were looking at this perfect balance of male and female, and, and there were dangers involved. And that's why when you get to Charles I, James II in the early 17th century, some of the great musicians in the English court are psychopaths. So you get Tobias Hume, who is a mercenary who's fought in wars in four or five different countries and he becomes a musician because he's so masculine that he doesn't pose any threat oh okay so so that's a long a long story to say why you know why is there this devilish thing and uh and it's all about temptation that's what being too musical is about and that's why people wouldn't practice that much awesome Well, thanks for staying tuned with us. Coming up next, Jerry Lynn is going to read us the transcript from a story we got a long time ago on our on our Omo phone. Uh, this guy, Glenn Gowden. Is it Gowden? I think Gowden. it's Gowden or Godin. Uh, he's got a creepy, creepy tale of a violin that calls to him. Stay tuned. Hi, Glenn here in the Northeast. Here's my dark violin story. One day, some 15 years ago, I went from Maine to Texas to buy a piano to bring home to restore. I rented a truck, loaded it up, and started driving back. All along the way, I would stop off the highway in the small towns and ask at the grocery stores and at the barber shops if there were any old guys in town who worked on violins. I ended up with some serious characters with occasionally some horrible atrocities being visited upon their violins. But that's another story. Along the way, I stopped at a small music store. They said, oh, there's a gentleman of some means who collects violins up the way. In my budget truck, I pulled into his million-dollar house in an upscale neighborhood. The collector showed me his playroom with a bunch of violins, mostly lower-end, but also with some interesting Mark Kierkens. Then he says, I have this. He brings out a big cardboard box, opens it, and in the box is a violin case totally falling apart. But in that case, there's a rather beautiful instrument. Under the violin, there were a bunch of newspaper clippings worn and yellowing. It was the story of the original violin owner. The owner was a well-known gypsy violinist in New York and Chicago, from the 1890s to around 1930, and this was his personal violin. It had been kept by his widow until just last year. The man's name was Rigo Yanshi. You can look him up. So I'm holding this violin, and the collector tells me, I'm going to let it go because, well, I'm uncomfortable with it. I bought the violin at a very modest price, and the collector seemed glad to see it go. I went back to my lonely hotel room along the side of the highway, still 800 miles from home, and opened the box. The violin was still beautiful and in good condition, 
The fingerboard was a bit loose, but it still had bridge and strings. So I tuned it up and tried it out. Something happened. I'm not a good violin player. I have fun with it. I'm a fiddler. But that night I played stuff that I couldn't. Stuff that I didn't know. I couldn't understand what I was seeing or hearing as I played. I took a pause, then played again and went even further. My hands doing things I couldn't know. I put it down somewhat shaken, put it back in the box, and brought it back to Maine. For a long time, that violin has been kept in an old Jaeger case. I keep it safe and wedged under my bench. But I still think I channeled Rigo Yanshi that night, and sometimes, I still hear the violin calling me. This is, this is, this is, this is, and this is Dakota. Dakota. So, uh, what's the weirdest fiddlehead you guys have ever seen? What's the weirdest scroll you've ever seen on anything? Oh, Jerry, you've got one right now. That's crazy. Well, I don't have it right now. That picture, that picture was from a couple of years ago, and it's a bassist who, on the head of his K bass, or if not he did, a friend of his crafted out of bondo and wood and fake rubies. Something that looks like a... Jerry Lynn. A little bit, but it looks more like some sort of voodoo creature. Yeah. That's what I said. It definitely relocates in your house at night by itself. <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately, I have not seen that thing in two years, but... That you know of. Yeah, don't worry. We bought it fried chicken, rum, and some cigarettes before the neck got set back into the body. So I think it's happy. Could you describe its appearance? Uh, looks like some sort of shrunken head with ruby eyes and a goatee and lips that kind of purse out that look <laughs> like it should have a cigarette dangling from it. It looks like a Jim Henson character from The Labyrinth. Like, Pretty much. You'd come around a corner and the base would turn around and tell you you weren't allowed to cross the, the bridge. Mm -hmm. I, I saw one at the Freeman's auction. They had some folk instruments. And it really looked like two croissants smashed together. Cool, because of the the volute shape, the the swirl. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, it looked quite edible. I have two. The both were really well done, so I don't count them as weird. Uh, the first is uh, it was on a, a hurdy gurdy, and where the head was, the sides of the peg box. So if you imagine from where the strings go over the nut up into where the pegs go, there are the two sides of the pegs box where the legs of a lady who is lifting up her skirts and petticoats and looking down at where the strings were going up into her biznaz. Oh. Oh. Very cool. And and really very well done and, and cheeky, I believe is the word for it. Oh. And then the second, which I love and it's so cool, is uh, our friend Dan Gillespie put a muskrat yes. skull on, on a fiddle of his that he made. And the fiddle sounds great. And that thing is just, oh, it's, it's, it's wicked. It's, it's yeah. American rock and roll. It's so awesome. Muskrat skull. Muskrat love. Muskrat love. <laughs> I don't know why you said that, but I think we should. Uh... It's a song. Oh, is it? <laughs> it's a song. Very much so. 
OMO is the passion project of Rosie Deloach, Chris Jacoby, and Jerry Lynn. If you like the show, consider leaving us a review on iTunes. You can always connect with us at mail at omopod.com or leave a message on the OMO phone, 240-686-5345. We love hearing from you and are always taking more questions for listener feedback. This episode edited with love by yours truly. Thanks for listening, and thanks for being a part. While her father and four brothers were out having adventures, Mara and her mother spent their days exploring and hunting. Wait. <laughs> Hold on a second. <laughs> Pulling weeds from the garden. I think, uh... What? Her four... Okay, Mara spent their days... I said that sentence wrong. Okay. It's okay. Yeah, no, like... I, you said that okay. Mara and her mother spend their days exploring and hunting. I did. And they I don't. Did. They yeah. don't. They are okay. oppressed by their <laughs> sexual lot. Yeah. Okay, let me try again. <laughs> Mara and her mother spent their days the same each day. Spent... <laughs> Mara (laughs) Mara and her mama had the same day over and over again. (laughs) Who flew? Yes. It was still early, but already. Oh my gosh, why does this not make sense? I'm oh my god. (laughs) I'm sorry. It's okay. Just change it to Mm -hmm. early one Uh day. Yeah. I thought I proofread this, but... I thought I read it and loved it. Her back already it made aching. Sense. It's like, did something get moved around? No. Well, maybe. Okay. maybe yeah. Your your life today, and now you're sleepy. Yeah. Jeez. Okay. <laughs> I'm tempted to just keep this as it is. <laughs> you could just skip everything after Hungry Boys to Mother's Back had already developed yeah. a permanent hunch. Yeah. all right right, right. don't smile Um, no i'm not gonna um it was still early in the day but already mara's back ached as she reached down to grab a snail (laughs) (laughs) a single snail (laughs) oh (laughs) sorry I'm sorry too. I'm gonna really put want to be I'm gonna put my shit on mute actually, so I can't do that to you. Okay, all right. I'm listening. Oh my gosh! Mm. This is the Romani legend of the creation of the violin. Ooh. I finally got through it. That's great. Hi, hi, Chris Jacoby. Welcome to Omo, everybody.